0: Hebrews chapter 6, stand for, uh, with me for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9. And we'll read down through verse number 12. And then through the message this evening, we'll be covering down through verse number 20. The Bible says, beginning in verse 9, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work, and labour of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to your to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Verse twelve, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them. Look here, who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Through faith and patience. Inherit the promise. The, name, the title of the Bible study this evening is this, Patiently Inheriting the Promises. Patiently Inheriting the Promises. Christian, has God made promises through His Word to you? Has He? Answers, yes. Has He come through on every promise He's made to you? Are there promises still lingering out there that you're waiting for Him to come through on? I'd say there are. And so, we're going to learn tonight how that some of those are not gained in a day or a week or a month or, or five years or ten years. They're gained through a lifetime of faithfulness. And so, patiently inheriting the promises. We're going to look at the precept of it, and then we're going to look at a biblical example of it tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you help us to understand Hebrews 6. Lord, give us uh, clarity of uh, me, clear of speech, and then the audience, uh, clarity of mind. And Lord, the, the weary, tired brains that have been working hard all day, some brains are not tired, but bodies are, and so Lord, help us to stay engaged and focused, and Lord, just as, any, as an electronic would charge up overnight, help us to plug in and be spiritually recharged by the time we leave tonight and be ready to leave here and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. One of the biggest mistakes that many Christians make is a lack of understanding on how spiritual maturity works. They, they want to think that you go to church for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years. And, you know, at some point I've arrived. I think about a little boy who's sitting around the table and uh, after church on a Sunday morning. And he's 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. And the mom says, what would you learn in church today? And the little boy, just, he's just ramming the mashed potatoes engraving in his mouth. He says, nothing. And she says, what do you mean you didn't learn anything? He said, oh, I've heard all the stories in the Bible. And, and his older sister spoke up and said, no, you haven't. And mom said, there's no way you've heard all the stories in the Bible. So they start listing off some of the more obscure Bible stories And they're trying to find stories this boy doesn't know. And the dad stops them after a moment or two and says, Hey, the question was wrong to begin with. It's not about what did you learn. It was how were you challenged at church today? There will come a point in time where you get the majority of the Bible's stories up here. It takes a lifetime to learn how to take the application from those stories and live them out here. You understand? It takes a lifetime. You, you could go to church for, for four or five or six lifetimes, and you'd still never get all the Scripture down, and you'd never really figure out how to completely and totally live it all out. It is a journey. And I believe that we live in a day and time where people, by the title there, people just are not patient. They are not patient. I have been saved now for 31 years. I can tell you that I have some things figured out today that five years ago I didn't have figured out. Ten years ago I didn't have figured out. Twenty years ago I really didn't have figured out. And I believe that, uh, uh, brother, um, let's see here. Uh, Let's figure out who the oldest person in the room is spiritually. Who here has been saved 40 years or longer? Saved 40 years or longer. Okay. So that goes back. 40 years or longer, that would be... Some of you don't know, do you? You don't keep up with your spiritual age? So if you were saved in the 70s, you'd be 40... You'd be in, you'd be in close to either approaching 40 or over 40. Okay. So some of you have been saved 40 years. That's a good long time. When I have been saved 50 years or 60 years, I'll look back at being 30 in the Lord and I'll say, Oh boy, I have learned a whole lot more. I not only learned, but I have, I have matured... A whole lot more today than I was back then. Now, by the way, that's not a given. That's not an automatic. My body matures whether I put McDonald's in it or I eat Whole30 diet. Okay? My body matures. And I used to grow this way. Now I'm growing this way. You all with me? And I just keep watching myself grow. And, uh, but, um, uh, but your spiritual maturity is it's methodical. It's intentional. It's on purpose. And we must choose, we must choose to mature in the Lord day after day, week after week, month after month. It is a constant choice. Uh, By the way, there are going to be times where you get up and go to church, and you don't feel like getting up and going to church. How many of you are that way right now? You're here, but your body, your body really doesn't want to be here. Let's be honest. Anybody? Um, that way right now, your body says, I want to go home and go to bed, or I want to go home and lay on the couch. I want to go home and whatever, okay? I want to go play sports. Maybe you don't even want to go home. but well, you have something else in mind, but you're here. You know why? That's spiritual. There's a layer of spiritual maturity about you, especially if you're a regular church goer. You look at the clock and you say, well, it's Wednesday and it's it's 6, 6.30, I ought to be getting in my car and... Heading to the church because that's the right thing to do. And there's that maturity in the Lord that comes from not being led by how I feel, but by what is right. Let me say that again. I'm not led by how I feel. I'm led by what is right. How many of you here have children still at home? Raise your hand if you say you still have children at home. If your children ask you, are we going to church today? That is a sign that you're not faithful to church. Your kids ought to wake up and know they're going to church and know that you're going to church. If your kids ask you, because kids do this, are we going to church today? Okay, well, hey, remember what I said. My kids never ask me that. You say, well, you're the pastor. I haven't always been the pastor and I've had kids. And there was a time where I wasn't a pastor and I still had kids at home. My kids still never asked me that. When Sunday came, when Wednesday came, they just started getting ready because they knew we were going to church. Um, um, I'm going to slip this in here too. If your four-year-old is sick, you don't need the whole family to stay home to watch the four-year-old. You all with me? If the four-year-old is sick, one of you parents get to stay home, and the rest of you need to go to church. I see families do this all the time. Well, you know, our little one was sick, so we, we missed church today. What if you had two tickets to go to your favorite sports team to a game, and your little one got sick? I bet one of you'd go, the other one would say, and you'd fill the seat with somebody else. Don't give me that we had to stay home because, hey, I'm just getting right down where it's at, okay? I'll put it right there on the bottom shelf. When it's time to go to church, you don't use some excuse about somebody being sick. Leave the sick person at home, especially if they're old enough to take care of themselves, and you get yourself to church. And if they're not, then one of you stay. When, I, when, uh, when we were really little... And one of us would get sick. Dad, Mom rather, mom would stay home in the morning and dad would stay home in the evening. And they'd swap who went to church. And then when I got to be 12, they'd just leave me at home and they'd go to church. <laughs> and, you get, and, and by the way, I had to have a fever to stay home. It wasn't just, I don't feel good today. Okay, stay home. No, let's check your temperature. Oh, you're at a 99.2 uh, temperature. You're going to church. It was below 100. You're going to church. Uh, but um, uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm uh, chasing rabbits here. I'm not... I'm a city boy, I'm not a hunter, but right now I'm chasing rabbits. I'm, I'm hunting a rabbit, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, patiently inheriting the promise. Uh, go back to, go back to ch- verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Anytime you see that word perfection in the New Testament, usually, most of the time, if not all the time, it means maturity. Let us go on unto maturity. This chapter is about how to mature in the Lord. Now, it spends the first several verses talking about doctrinal maturity. We looked at that over the last two weeks, doctrinal maturity. We looked at that term, falling away, and we said that came from the same root word as being an apostate. And that idea of falling away is choosing to fall away from doctrinal truth, Maybe someone was going to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, and they fell away into a cult, or they fell away into a false religion. That would be apostate, but that's not the only type of apostasy. You can also be going to a good Bible-preaching church, trying to follow the Bible way, and fall away into a life of sin and debauchery. Alright, that is also falling away. You were once faithful to church, now you just have nothing to do with church anymore. That's a falling away. And so um, now the, the chapter turns from talking about a head knowledge to a practical living. And he goes from chastising them for focusing on the wrong doctrines or putting the emphasis on Old Testament and not focusing on Christ. Now he turns around and praises them for their behavior when it comes to loving each other in ministry and encourages them to be faithful, to be faithful in their behavior, in their labor. So let's jump in here tonight. And let's look at point number one, our spiritual direction. If you have a prayer bulletin, on the back of that prayer bulletin, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. And I would encourage you to get out a pen, fill-in-the-blanks, and write down anything that you think is a help to you or something maybe you want to study a little bit later. So uh, look at verse number nine with me. It says, "...but, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak." So he said, listen, there is this possibility of this falling away but based on what we've seen out of you, we don't think you're going to trend into that, we think that the direction you're going is on into uh, spiritual maturity, that you're going to walk the right direction you're teetering, you're, you're in the middle, uh, and so we've given you the warning about not trampling on the blood of Christ and living an apostate backslidden lifestyle but we do believe, although you're in the middle, that we're persuaded that you're going to go in the right direction, that you're going to do the right thing. Look at verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your works. Uh, that's what you do. And labor of love, that's why you do it. More about, more about that in a minute. Which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have, look here, ye have ministered, that's past tense, to the saints, and do minister. That's present. So you see here that they have ministered, and they do minister. Now, very important. God has called all of us to be ministers. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 11. You say, well, I'm not a minister. Uh, I'm not a pastor or a minister. And I would say that you may not be the minister of a church, but you are called to be a minister within the church. Look at Matthew chapter 23 and uh, look at uh, verse number 11. Letter A, by the way, is our ministries. Our ministries. There it is. Letter A. Our ministries. Look at Matthew twenty-three, verse number eleven. Uh, but he that is greatest among you shall be your what's that word? Servant. servant. Shall be your servant. That means you, you're you're not concerned about your title, are you? you? You understand what a servant was in Bible times, an uneducated. Right? Person who had no real future. They didn't have a college degree. They didn't have family that could hand them, you know, prestige. They were born into poverty. They had no chance of ever leaving poverty. In fact, if it wasn't for this idea of being a servant, they'd be homeless on the street. Them being a servant was they, they would go to someone and say, Can I live in your house and eat out of your refrigerator in exchange for doing whatever you tell me to do? You need me to get down and wash the dust off people's feet when they walk in? Okay, I'll do it. Um, now, you were born into a world where you came for money or you had a future because of the family you were born in. You, you sort of stepped on servants your whole life because you watched your parents step on servants. Your whole life. How many of you here, from a third world country or from a country uh, other than the U.S., you, you have that servanthood thing still running and still present, where people are brought into the home, and you don't even have. To, here, you have to have money to have, you know, a maid or a butler. You don't have to have a lot of money in most countries around the world to have a maid or a butler in your home, and, and they they get. I'm telling you, because I've been to third world countries and I've seen it. They get stepped on. Not physically stepped on, but verbally stepped on. They get treated like they're less than human. Okay? That's just how it goes. And that's the culture here when Jesus is writing this verse. He's saying, I'm calling you to be like that servant. I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to quit worrying about your title and quit worrying about your respect and to be concerned about loving and handling the people above you. At White Oak Baptist Church, we teach and preach both at church and in your home in an upside-down pyramid, meaning the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. And the more authority you have within our church, the more people you ought to be serving. The more people you ought to be serving. The less authority you have in your church, the more you ought to be getting served. You know what I don't do as the pastor? I don't sit in, the, in my office with my arms across my chest and my lip out saying, No one ever serves me. You know why? Because I'm too busy trying to serve all of you. No, I'm not perfect at it. The Lord's giving me, uh, 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 shows me where I need to grow. But if you're a deacon here, you, the only person really ought to be serving you if you're a deacon are other deacons and the pastor. You ought to be busy serving everybody else. You're a Sunday school teacher here. You might have the deacons and the pastor serving you. You ought to be busy serving everyone within your class. That's the attitude here. Who can I serve? Now, at home, at home, husbands, it isn't about your wife making the meal perfect and putting it on the table at the time you say and you sitting down and whining and complaining or banging your fist on the table because every. Everything isn't just perfect. Now you may not make the meal, but boy, you ought to be a servant within the home. You ought to love that family. You ought to care for that family. There ought to be that servant leadership in home. And so uh, here, being a minister, again, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, they're complimented for their ministry. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered. To the saints and do minister. That means they have their eyeballs open and they're looking to see who they can help. Some of you walked in here tonight carrying a world of problems and you want to know how to get out of your world of problems. And I'm going to be very, very blunt and straightforward with you. If you want someone to help you with your problems, then get busy helping somebody else with their problems. You hear me? I have learned that when I have big problems in my life, if I will focus on helping other people with their problems, God helps me with my problems. That's just what I've learned. If I'm a minister to other people, God will minister to my needs. That's just how he works. And so, uh, look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse number 42. Uh, just a few pages over there to the, to the right. Mark 10. Verse 42, Mark's the second book in the New Testament, the second gospel there. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. The disciples really had a hard time with this, by the way. Jesus had to pound it and pound it. And pounded into their heads. Verse 42, and, and, uh, But Jesus called them to him and said unto him, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great uh, uh, ones uh, exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so if Jesus came to be the servant of all the humanity, then uh, how are you any better than him? How am I any better than him? And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, then be the greatest servant. So uh, we see here our ministries. By the way, past uh, Past and present. Past and present. We see that our ministries, uh, ought, we ought to have a past history of ministry, right? Look back at verse, uh, 12, or verse 10 of Hebrews 6. The second half, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints. Can you look back at a time in your life where you were ministering to the saints? Is there that history? If not, it's time to start that. It ought to be that in a year or two, you can look back over your shoulder and you can see that over the last two years, you had a group of people that you were ministering to, that were saints, that were saved, that you were working to serve, minister to. So, have ministered to. Now, let me speak to those that were once involved in ministering and have stopped. Okay, look at the rest of the verse. Have ministered to the saints and do minister. That means we keep going. Don Sisk, who I greatly admire and respect, he's one of the greatest missionaries of of, of yesteryear or of uh, the 20th century. Uh, He he was a missionary to Japan and and just built a tremendous church over there and then ran Baptist International International Missions Incorporated, he's well into his 80s. His wife, he was married to his wife, I think, for 65 years And before she passed. And he's still alive. I had a chance to hear him preach at a conference recently. And he's on the downward slope of his mental... Strength. He's slowly, he's sliding mentally, slowly but surely. Still has his faculties, but he's, he's not able to preach the way he once could. He was one of the most powerful preachers in our country, uh, especially on the topic of missions for years, and now he's, that, he's beginning to lose his ability to preach. But I heard him preach, and I sat there for 30 to 45 minutes, and I looked up at the man, and I said, this man is not going to quit. He's just going to keep going and keep serving and keep loving people. Until the day he dies. He wrote a book, oddly enough, entitled The Fourth Quarter of Life How to Be Strong in the Fourth Quarter of Life. I might even have it in my office. But the idea is that look, just because you're old and retired doesn't mean you get to sit on the sidelines and quit serving. You still need to minister. So, uh, our ministries, uh, some of you here are sitting on the sidelines because you're too busy with life to minister to people. And if that's the case, you have your priorities out of order. You have your priorities out of order. Now, I am one of these pastors. I don't yell and scream, and I'm not mean and nasty, okay? Uh, In fact, some people wish I'd yell and scream and be more nasty than I am. But that's not my style. But I will tell you what what my style is as a pastor. I will say what needs to be said. And not everyone's going to like everything I say. But I will say what needs to be said, especially and only really if it's biblical. And here's what I'll tell you. If you don't have time to be a servant for the Lord, then you are too busy. You're too busy and you need to rearrange your life because God wants you to serve your family and God wants you to serve the saints here at the church. So our ministries, letter B, notice God's memory, God's memory. Go back to Hebrews chapter 6 and look at verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Now, look here what God does not forget. He does not forget what you did, and he does not forget why you did it. Your work is what you did. Your labor of love is why you did it. Now, I've mentioned this, uh, was it in Sunday school? I don't know. I preach, I preach and teach uh, three times on Sunday, and sometimes I get mixed up what I say and where I say it. But somewhere Sunday I said this, so if it was in the main service, then I'm sorry for being repetitive. This uh, close to my, uh, each other. But 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 cover the spiritual gifts. Those three chapters talk about spiritual gifts. What do we find in 1 Corinthians 13? We find a, ch- a chapter about charity. About compassion, I believe it was Sunday night, now I'm remembering I hit this, right? So you ought to minister to people not out of a heart of obligation, not out of a heart of self-promotion, not out of a heart of look at me, not out of a heart of accolades. You ought to serve the saints, minister to the saints out of a heart of compassion and love. Out of a heart of compassion, you ought to look around at people and stop seeing a suit and stop seeing a dress and stop seeing a Bible and stop seeing a smile and start looking at people and realize everybody here is carrying a hurt. Everybody. You're not the only one that's hurt right now. You're not the only one that's struggling. I guarantee you I could start with Angela and work all the way around this side of the auditorium, hit these two guys in the back, and come up here, and if I were to inject everybody with truth serum and have them share with us the number one struggle in their life, everybody would have one. Everybody. You're not the only one. I heard about someone who said, "You know, I would love to trade places with that guy over there." And uh, God allowed him in the story. God allowed him to trade places, and they both came back to each other and said, "Let's swap back, please." Right? You think your problems are the worst until you have to deal with someone else's. Then you realize I'd rather have my set than theirs any day of the week. You think, well, that you know, if I had that guy's life or if I had that gr- girl's life. The grass is always greener on the other side until you get on the other side and you realize they have dirt under their grass just like you do. Okay? They have dandelions that grow up in the spring just like you do. We all deal with stuff. We all deal with stuff. Here's the point I'm making. God is going to have a day of reckoning. He's going to reward you if you do the work of the Lord and you do it out of a labor of love. Not only the what you do, but the why you do it. Why you do it. Why is it that you serve here? Why is it that you empty a trash can? Why is it that you... Uh, mow the lawn? Why is it that you vacuum a carpet? Why is it that you drive a bus? Why is it that you teach a Sunday school class? Why is it that you serve uh, in, in a leadership role in the church? Why is it that you help somebody in the door, uh, maybe who's elderly? Why is it that you share your hymn book with a visitor? Why is it that you're kind to our visitors who visit the church? Is it just so that you have some ulterior motive, or is it because you genuinely have Have a compassion for hurting people that need the Lord and need that hand, that healing ball. One of the philosophies we have here at White Oak Baptist Church is that we are not a spiritual museum. Don't you come here trying to flaunt how godly and spiritual and, and knowledgeable of God's word you are. Now, you use those things to help people if you are godly and you know the Bible, but you don't come here trying to put yourself up on a pedestal. No, we're a spiritual hospital. And people who are sick are welcomed here. People who are broken are welcomed here. And don't you dare run somebody off because they don't dot their I's and cross their T's the way you do. You, you love everybody. And I gotta tell you, in New England, I don't sense that we have, again, I'm just, I'm just getting real practical tonight. I don't sense that in New England and in White Oak Baptist Church, I don't sense that we have a racism issue in this church. Now, maybe there's one that's uh, covertly here or subtly here, and, and in the three years I've been here, I just haven't figured it out. But I just haven't seen it. I just haven't seen it. Uh, Brother Okai is one of our deacons, and I think he was voted in almost 100%. And so I just don't see it. My wife is Hispanic, and she's never sensed racism in her direction uh, as a Latin a woman in the church. I don't sense a racism issue in our church, and praise the Lord. But I do tell you where we struggle as a church. We struggle with class warfare. We do. And I don't think it's on purpose, but it happens. People who don't have money get treated different here than people who do have money. Someone walks in the back door and it's obvious that they're poor. They get less attention than people who come in the door. It's obvious they have money. And you say, well, I'm not doing that on purpose. I don't even know that I'm doing it. You know how we counter that? By going out of our way to treat people who are poor better than people who are rich. We have to go out of our way to be friendly to everybody. Look, I don't care if the guy comes off the street or the girl comes off the street and it looks like they dipped their face in a tackle box. They need Jesus. They need your love. Somebody comes in, they have a neck tattoo. (gasps) That's so scary. Hey, they showed up here. They need the Lord. Do you know what they had to overcome to walk in this church? Don't you make it more weird for them. You go out of your way, put your arm around them, let them know you love them. Now, men, if she's really pretty, don't put your arm around her, okay? Let your wife put her arm around her. People need to know they're loved here. And God is watching you. You you're kind of you're kind to someone who, who looks like you, smells like you, talks like you, acts like you, and um and God says, Okay, how are you going to treat someone who doesn't fit the bill? How are you gonna love on someone who doesn't? come along. And look, why does the Baptist church, I'm not saying we're terrible at it. Uh, We, we, you know, if I could give us a score on a scale of one to 10, being very honest, probably a five We're not rude to people who come in the door who are poor, who look like they're poor, but we could do a whole lot better at it. You know, I have a feeling that if Jesus were to just walk in the door as a human, I don't think he'd be rolling up in a Rolls Royce. I don't think he'd be rolling up in a nice car at all. Someone tell me Jesus living condition as a, as a minister. He was homeless. He said, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on at night. I sleep under the stars. Jesus, if Jesus were to just show up at church, do you think he'd be dressed in a, you know, $1,000 suit? Do you think he'd have an Apple Watch on his wrist? I have one on my wrist, by the way. There's nothing wrong with an Apple Watch. Okay? Do you think Jesus would, would roll up with a with a, with a you know... With a nice setup? I don't think so. I think he'd come in and he'd look very plain. How would we treat him if we didn't know who he was? How would we treat him? People need the love of God, and God's watching us, and he's watching our motives. And he's and that's going to be revealed one day. Turn over to Colossians chapter three, verse twenty three. Colossians chapter three, verse twenty three. God is not unrighteous to forget. It's not as though um, you do something for the Lord and then, you know, it it goes unnoticed and he just forgets about it. No, the Lord has an impeccable memory. Colossians 3, look at verse 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance... For ye, see, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now, if you always need somebody to pat you on the back, to keep you going, then you're not doing it for the right reason. You know, on purpose, I really work hard and not call names and say, we want to praise such and such because they pulled a piece of gum off the back of the pew last week. We want to praise such and such because fill in the blank. You know why? I don't want to steal your reward. I want God to reward you in heaven. And if you start doing it for my praise as the pastor, that means you're doing it for me. You're not doing it for the Lord. Your motives aren't right. Now, God doesn't forget. How many of you here have ever done something really, really, really good for someone? And the person you did it for, they enjoyed what you did... But they never even acknowledged that you did it. We've all had that happen, right? We've all had that happen to us. If you're married here, you both have probably done it to each other at some point in a marriage, right? Where you both, at one point or the other, really enjoyed something the other person did, and you really didn't express gratitude the way you ought to. Now, the Bible tells us back in Hebrews 6 that God doesn't do that, He's not unrighteous to forget. His memory is impeccable. That good deed you did for someone that no one knew about except you and God 20 years ago, God's going to reward you for that when you get to heaven because his memory is impeccable. Now you may blow it over and over and over again since then, but when you get to heaven, God is going to have that reward. He's going to reward you for that. Let's move on here. So number one, we see our spiritual direction. What direction are you trending? Are you a minister? Are you a servant? Are you doing it for the right reason, out of a labor of love? Or are you doing it for the attention and accolades? Are your motives impure? Uh, what direction are you trending? Number two, notice our spiritual diligence. Our spiritual diligence. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Hebrews 6. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Look at verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, if you are one to mark your Bible, let me encourage you to underline the phrase in verse 12 who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That is the key phrase of the passage. The whole passage revolves around that phrase. Um, there's an illustration about Abraham we'll get into next week. But that that illustration of Abraham is supporting evidence back to that phrase. So look at the phrase again, because that's very important. This is the key phrase to the passage, verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, here's the point uh, that um, uh, the author of Hebrews, or rather God, is trying to make to us. Sometimes... We get so weary in the work, and we feel so unrewarded in the work, that we want to quit the work. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. Where we're doing the work of the Lord, whether that's being a good husband, good wife... A godly husband, godly wife rather, a, a godly parent, a godly Sunday school teacher, and you're just not really seeing the fruit of your labor. Can I tell you how many times I've sat back in my office and I've gotten down prostrate on my face before God and say, I've put in a 70, an 80, a 90 hour work week, and the attendance hit an all time low on Sunday. I went out door knocking more last week than I ever have, and nobody came. We had a friend day, and I had ten people lined up to come to church, and none of them showed up. You ever been there? What's the use? Why am I trying? What's this about? And God says, I want you to be faithful. And I want you to understand that you need to be diligent in your work. You need to understand that you're not playing the short game. You're playing the long game. Um, I won't have you raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you in here uh, play or work or invested in the stock market. I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want people to treat you better than the rest of us, okay? Uh, but uh, the stock market, all right? Uh, you have day traders. I wish Brother John was here because he he looks into this stuff at, for a for, uh, living. But you have day traders who jump in on the hot stock for today, and they're out. And then you have people who will invest in something, and through the ups and downs, they're looking for a slow, gradual rise. God's doing that with you. He's not looking for you to be a flash in the pan Christian. He's looking for that, that longevity in the Christian life where you are on the rise. Letter A, notice our perseverance. Our perseverance. Look back at uh, verse number 11 there. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. All right. And, uh, by the way, we know what the word diligence means. It means you're on top of it. Rose, you're a teacher. You have students that are diligent, right? And you have students that aren't diligent. And the ones that are diligent are are hand up as soon as you ask a question. Kids that aren't diligent, as you call them the name, they're like, what, what was the question? Right? I taught at school a couple of years. and. I have some faces running through my head right now from 7th grade math class. Uh, but uh, diligent. Are you a diligent Christian? Are you aware? Are you watching? Are you on those Christian details? Now look what he says about diligence. Again, verse 11. Uh, Do show the same diligence of the full assurance... Of hope unto the end. Unto the end. Notice that phrase, hope unto the end. Our perseverance. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9. For time's sake, you can try to turn over there if you like, but as soon as I get there, I'm going to start reading. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I haven't memorized it. It's just not coming to my mind right here. And, oh, here it is. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Finish the verse with me. For in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. Right? Be not weary in well-doing. That moment where you just want to quit because things have just got really tough, the Bible says, look, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Yeah, you know what? People aren't treating you right. Yeah, you're not getting the results that you want. Your expectations in life are not being met. In whatever area it is that you've been called to serve and work, God says persevere. Just push through. Just follow. Don't be weary in well-doing. Uh, uh, let's just be honest with each other tonight, all right? Because I'm going to raise my hand in answer to this question. How many of you are a little fatigued in the work that the Lord has called you to at this moment? In your spirit or your body, you're just a little wore out. Would you raise your hand? How many of you there right now? Not in, you, may, you may not be in a seasonal life where you are. Keep them up for a minute. My hand's up. My hand's up. I've had a grueling couple of days emotionally as a pastor. All right? I'm just being real. Being, being real. I'm being candid. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm a little wore out right now. Okay? I'm carrying some things from other people that I need to go tonight before I go to bed and lay at the foot of the cross so that I can go to bed. I'm a little weary and well-doing. You know what I can't do? I can't quit. Can't quit. I can't quit. I have to keep pressing forward. I have to lay them at the feet of Jesus, and I have to ask him to restore me and renew me. And I have to get up, and I have to keep marching forward. Because this sweet gal right here needs me too, and my two children need me too, and White Oak Baptist Church needs me too. And God, he he doesn't need me, but he wants me to lead, and he wants to use me. He wants to reward me one day. And he wants to reward you one day. You say, well, pastor, but you're you're a pastor and you're doing an eternal work at church. What I do isn't eternal. Listen, what God has called you to as far as a career goes, that is a big deal. God called you to do it. And you need to get up every day and you need to give all your heart to it as long as you're on the clock. Now, you need to know when to cut it off and go and be with your family. You need to know when to cut it off and go to church. You need to know when to cut it off and walk with God. But you need to persevere even when it gets tough. Letter B, notice. Uh, well, let me give you this first. We may not even get to letter B, okay, because I want to cover this. Uh, go back and look at verse number 11. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through... Notice those two words. Circle them in your Bible if you have the phrase line, Faith and patience faith and patience below and these won't be on your bulletin but they'll be up on the screen below our perseverance notice trust trust how is it that you persevere even when you're not getting your expectations met by the way you know where discouragement and ultimately depression comes from unmet expectations unmet expectations unmet expectations bring us discouragement Long term discouragement brings us to depression. Unmet expectations. Then we end up in a cycle where we stay depressed. We stay depressed. So, where do unmet expectations come from? It comes really, I'm just going to be again putting it on the bottom shelf tonight. It comes from a lack of faith. It's believing that my expectations are better or more important than God's expectations. God's expectations. God's plan for my life. When my expectations and God's plan do not meet, then I can be discouraged. So how is it that you persevere to the end? You must learn to trust God. Everybody listen to me tonight. His way is perfect. Even when His way does not line up with your way. Even when His way means that you're discouraged and hurt at times. His way is perfect. Because He loves you and He loves those around you supremely, far beyond your capacity to love. And God says you may be weary and well-doing and you may be discouraged, you may be downtrodden, you may feel that your expectations aren't being met. And God says, hold the phone and trust Me. Have faith in Me. Below trust, notice the word timing. Timing. Look back at verse number 11. Who through faith and, what's that next word? Patience. Patience. Sometimes the reason why we get discouraged isn't that our expectations aren't going to get met, it's that they're not getting met on our timetable. It's when I want it. It's right now. You say, but Pastor, I'm not even like pressing like the McDonald's drive-thru. Okay. It's been years and I haven't gotten what I wanted. Like, this isn't a matter of, you know, being patient with the server as they're taking my steak back for the fifth time to get it cooked right. This is, God, I've been waiting for years. What's going on here? And God says, look, in your finite, puny, minute little self, my way and my timing is always better than your way and your timing. Now, how do you persevere? If you can't learn trust and timing, you you won't persevere. You're going to throw in the towel and walk away and quit. You have to trust God, and you have to follow His timing. You have to, or you're not going to make it. You're going to give up, you're going to throw in the towel, and you may not directly blame God, but in essence you are. You have to trust Him, and you have to believe in His timing, that His way is best. Our perseverance. So I'm going to give you letter B and we'll, we'll go over it uh, uh, next week. Letter B is God's promises. God's promises. Now, here's uh, homework for you. If I give you homework that means you have to come back next week to turn it in. Okay? Here's homework for you. I want everybody here tonight to be back next week and come with a promise or two from God's word that is, that's a divine promise on a positive note. All right? I'm going to ask you next week, what are some of God's promises? And I want you to maybe give me a promise that God has already delivered on and a promise in your life that God has yet to deliver on. That's going to require some thinking. That's going to require some, uh, a little bit of Bible study, some meditating. But come back next week with a promise God has delivered on and a promise that God is yet to deliver on, all right? And so we're going to look at God's promises next week, and I want to show you next week that God always fulfills his promises every time. And then we're going to look at an Old Testament example of how God put Abraham through the ringer. He had to, he had to trust God, and he had to wait on his timing, like, on an extreme level, and God came through. So patiently inheriting the promises. Uh, I hope that's been an encouragement tonight. Let's stand to be dismissed.